Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, TV personality, and founder of The Cocktail Guru. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. And it looks like you have a little cocktail in front of you, is that correct? I do have a cocktail in front of me. This is in honor of our next guest. Every time I make a cocktail, I try to connect it to our guest. Mm, And when I I tell you what it is, you may or may not connect it to our guest, who shall remain nameless for the moment, but it is a whiskey sour marmalade. Whiskey sour marmalade, yeah. Yes, and I learned how to make this by watching one of our next guest's instructive videos. Yes, and it, and it was a great video, as all of his videos are. And I learned a great deal. And I'm going to take a sip now of my whiskey sour marmalade. You know, Dad, um, we've been focusing quite a bit on contemporaries, um, men and women from the bartending, restaurant communities, uh, who are making history, people who we know personally, who will be remembered by generations to come. Uh, We are very pleased that today's special guest is a West Coast-based bartender, bar owner. Uh, He calls Portland, Oregon his home. Uh, He is uh, a good pal, uh, and he um, connects with you, Dad, because he's a fellow antiquarian cocktail book collector. Um, That's that's why I like him so much. That's that's the only reason. Um, He's an award-winning author, blogger, educator. We'll go over some more stuff. Um, in a moment, but we're going to we're, we're bring him in. We'll take a quick break right now, and then we'll bring him in. Have you heard of the Polish king? The most famous king of Poland, Jan III Sobieski, was renowned as a highly educated, well-traveled, and heroic philosopher. Sobieski 100% rye vodka pays homage to this larger-than-life leader with larger-than-life bold flavors and expressions. The newest of these? Sobieski grapefruit. Ugh, delicious. This newest expression complements any classic or new age cocktail you may be experimenting with. So let's have a Sobieski cocktail together. Cheers. Okay, it is none other than Mr. Jeffrey Morgenthaler. Hello, Jeff. Hi, guys. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good morning. Welcome. Fine, thank you. Now I would, we have two Jeffrey. We have two Jeffreys on the show, which has never happened before. I don't think that's happened before. Nope, I don't think so. <laughs> it's a it's a rare but fine name. And if I were doing this introduction, I would be going on and on and on because Jeffrey Morgenthaler's accolades and um, his uh, activities are just way too numerous to mention. We will end up mentioning them during the course of the podcast, but uh, I mean, uh, where do, where do we begin with Jeffrey? Where? I don't know. Well, first of all, Jeffrey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just in the middle of a busy holiday season here. Oh yes, it is. We're recording. It is the holidays. This will come out a, f- a few weeks, several weeks after the holidays. But um, yes, it's always a it's always a busy time, and um, you you know. Oh, first of all, before we, we before we start, we always ask our guests um, who come on the show, "What is your desert island 
drink. So if you were stranded on a desert island, what is that drink that you'd have in your hand? Oh, and you know uh, what? Since since I since I've been studying our next guest, I think I know the answer, but I'm not going to say anything until wow. Well, probably sparkling wine or coffee. How about? I thought you were going to say champagne, uh, which is spark, sparkling yes. wine. Yes, very much. Champagne. So. I, yeah. I guess. I guess if the, if there were no budget, um, it would be the champagne. Totally. Um, but because I saw um, a list, a list of your favorite drinks. Really? And um, I don't even yes, know. Yes, I, I did. I saw this list. Huh? From starting off with number ten, which was water, <laughs> and going up to number one, which was what? Champ- champagne. What is this? What is this list? Well, what are you doing? Where are you finding these things? I, I I search the internet and I find all kinds of interesting information. I'm sure that was uh, taken a long time ago because I think number one would be it, water. It, number ten would probably be alcohol. Number one, right? <laughs> I guess as one, yeah, as one gets a little older, um, perhaps we get wiser. Um, and you know, um, you are. You know, you're one of the kind of uh, OGs in our in our industry, and you you built up the the Portland bar scene um, to what it is, and you were really the trailblazer there, and a trailblazer, uh, you know, countrywide, worldwide, really. But how did you? How, how did the hospitality industry um, kind of come into your lap? How, how did you get into it? Oh, I mean, uh, it's as simple as I just needed money when I was in college. Uh, it, you know, this was never intended to be a a career. Uh, per se, but, uh, you know, after, after doing it for several years, um, I don't know, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I think I probably realized that I was better at it than, um, I was at architecture. So is that what you went to school for? Yeah, I got my degree in interior architecture in 98, well, started attending bar in 96, but, but, but you also have a degree yeah. in physics. I do. Yep. Just an associate's a very small degree, not a big degree, but well, um, it's, it's still, still hard. Very, for me. very <laughs> impressive. And it's so the plan, the, the plan was to get into that, into architecture, but you know, you, you kind of uh, started making money and saw that, that saw that this was something that you could get behind. Yeah. And I, bars. You know, and, and I had a lot more fun, you know, after I graduated, I worked in offices for, for a little while and, um, and it wasn't um, it wasn't super fun for me. I, I'm just not really an office guy. Um, I worked in offices for I don't know maybe less than ten years, maybe five years, something like that. Um, and it's just not really my lifestyle. Sitting down, being in front of a computer all day, um, you know, bartending so much more dynamic. And that all started in 1996, right? I started in 1996. Yeah. So this is. Uh, yeah. April will be 27 years for me. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. That's great. <laughs> Congratulations. A for, long, um, long time to It's actually my first. It is a long time. My first um, restaurant job was in, um, wait, in 1995. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was... I was sixteen. I was sixteen years old, uh, and I got my first uh, restaurant gig. And then, you know, five years later, I was working in a bar. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 interesting, you know, to go to study one field and then to go into the hospitality industry. Um, you know, what was that? 
what was the transition like into the into the real world and then working behind the bar trying to make a living and you know just just being a person <laughs> um what do you mean well i mean how did, how did you get past the fact that your life was threatened on numerous <laughs> yeah. occasions while you were working at, I, while I, you were I, working I mean, at a tavern i still uh I still have nightmares about it from time to time. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure. What, I, I, is this part of the research that you did, Dad? I don't know about your, his life that, being threatened. This is uh, yes. This is an important part of the research. You, you tell you enough scary bars, yeah. and um, and uh, your life will get threatened uh, once or twice. And I worked in some pretty scary bars uh, in those early days. And so you didn't, obviously you didn't want to continue working in scary bars. What were the other, <laughs> what did you move on to um, after those scary bars? You know, after uh, I had had, you know, so many um, pretty uh, uh, upsetting experiences over the years, I decided that uh, I wanted to move up into fine dining if I was going to stick with bartending. And I had a feeling I was going to stick with bartending. So I knew I wanted to kind of move up into like a better class of bar. Um, and so I did, you know, I, um, kind of got out of the dive bars and into some, you know, clubs. And from there I moved into kind of, um, fancier, uh, kind of restaurants, uh, and, you know, just kind of worked my way up the ladder kind of piece by piece, place by place over the years. Um, you know, just to try to try to escape that you can't, it's not, super sustainable, at least not for somebody like me. I'm a little sensitive to be in a scary bar night after night. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. And then finally you, you found your way to Clyde common. I did. Yeah. Right? And Pe Pepe Lomoco. Yeah. 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 They, um, uh, my boss at Clyde, uh, recruited me from Eugene. I was living in Eugene, which is the college town about two hours south of here where I went to school. And, um, and yeah, I got recruited to come up and manage uh, the bar at Clyde Common, which had been open for a year and a half. It already had already had three bar managers during that time. Um, so I moved up here. My first day was January 2nd, 2009. Uh, and I was there for 12 or so years until the pandemic closed us. Hmm. And is, was Pepe Lomoco a, a sister bar? Yeah. Um, or, we opened Pepe uh, in the same building um, in uh -huh. 2014. Uh, we'd been talking about it for a long time. There was a, a space that was just kind of sitting unused. Um for a number of years and we decided to remodel it and turn it into a cocktail bar, kind of the antithesis of Clyde, which was like a big, loud, crazy downtown gastropub. Pepe was a dark, quiet, small, intimate um, basement cocktail bar. And then, so uh, what I'd love to chat about is the inspiration um, that you've given to so many bartenders, young bartenders, um, vis-a-vis -vis your books and your traveling and your se seminars. Um, so the bar book, uh, Elements of Cocktail Technique, which uh, was put out in 2014, um, 
is a really interesting book that is quite detailed and goes over many different techniques that young bartenders, seasoned bartenders would see as being useful. Um, mm -hmm. What was the what was the inspiration, the impetus behind that book, and you know the message that you wanted to send out to people? Well, I had been um, writing about technique on my website for um, a number of years at that point. I started my website and roughly, I started writing about cocktails on my website roughly 2004, something like that, coming up on 20 years ago. Um, so I've been writing about different techniques and kind of hacks, stuff that, stuff that appealed to me as a working bartender still does. Um, rather than just drink recipes or drink history, you know, history's covered by people that are much smarter than I am. And, and I find recipes just to be kind of boring. Um, but, uh, I started sharing, you know, just how I do things with my hands. Uh, cause you know, I, I came up bartending in a really small town kind of before the internet and you couldn't just like, you know, you couldn't just like walk down to death and company or, or pick up a, um, you know, grab a, a YouTube video of, of people around the world. Right. You know, yeah, I had to learn from books and I had to learn from people in the kitchen and I had to kind of like scrap together a whole bunch of, um, different resources to teach myself, you know, everything that I wanted to learn. So I wanted to like really pay that back by sharing, um, what I've learned with other, other people in, in, um, you know, especially in smaller markets that, you know, like I say, kind of don't have the opportunity to walk down the street to a famous cocktail bar and sit there and, you know, watch and learn and talk. Um, and I'm just, really happy that it's been so well received by people, you know? Well, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. It's, it's Jeffrey Morgenthaler hacks. Um, you know, that's <laughs> exactly. the majority of it. And that's, uh, and you're definitely known for that. And, and he, people even coined the term, the Jeffrey Morgenthaler method, um, <laughs> which <laughs> tell us what is oh, the yeah. Jeffrey Morgenthaler method? I don't know. It's, uh, it's usually <laughs> just, uh, the easiest, cheapest, fastest, um, <laughs> least bullshitty way of doing something, I think. Right. But it's, yeah. but it's innovation. I mean, it's, when you look at, when you look at some of these hacks, you're like, well, that makes complete sense, you know, but Jeffrey uh, is the one who is conceptualizing it on paper and actually writing it down and sharing it. So, well, I've never, um, I've you never know, like, in, uh, um, I've never worked in super fancy places with big budgets. I've never, uh, I've never worked in a big corporate place. Uh, I've never had access to like all this crazy equipment, these centrifuges and, and, um, right. uh, roto vap distiller, you know, -vap, kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so, you know, when you want to make really great drinks and, and, um, and somewhat, um, I won't say groundbreaking, but just, you know, um, new, something new, something that's just a little bit beyond, you know, your gin and tonic or, or, um, you know, basic like margarita or whatever. Um, uh, if you want to do something a little trickier, uh, and you don't have an unlimited supply of money behind you, uh, you just get creative. And you did something extremely creative and innovative, something that a lot of people, a lot of people know, at least one person thought was kind of crazy for you to do 
because it was well ahead of its time, and that is barrel-aged cocktails. Yeah. You were like the first person yeah. in Portland, maybe even the West Coast, to do parallel. I think in the U. I think in the U. In the U.S. Maybe in the U.S. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, it turns out, um, you know, or was Don Lee doing it also? No, that was me. Um, I was I was, was in at a bar, and, and um, they were aging cocktails in glass bottles for a number of years, and uh, it just didn't really taste all that different to me. Um, you know, as you know, if aging spirits in glass doesn't really affect the flavor all that much. Um, but I did have this idea to put it in this tiny barrel that I had at home and, um, you know, and it turned out great. And, you know, we, um, I wrote about it, uh, very quickly after that to sort of share that with the world. And it really took off, you know, into like a massive global cocktail trend. Um, after that came out, turns out, um, I think it was David Wondrich discovered that, um, the Hubline cocktail company or the Hubline spirits company had been aging cocktails in oak barrels back in the, uh, I don't know, I want to say like maybe fifties or something like that, but that one had been lost to time. So it's like, I sort of reinvented something that had been invented, uh, 70 years ago. <laughs> You did. I mean, it, it really, that it was a phenomenon. Um, and it was the, the hot, it was the hot trend, um, <laughs> you know, of, I don't know, to that, mm, 2010 to two thousand. I mean, may, still today, not as much as it was back then. I think it got kind of got taken over by smoked cocktails. <laughs> um, and then, and then you keep having the next thing coming about. Um, but I want to talk more about some of your hacks in just a quick second. We'll take a quick break. Okay. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. If you're into swag as much as we are, then look no further than our Cocktail Guru shop. The items in our store have been personally chosen, handpicked with care by me, I'm Jonathan, and my team of Cocktail Gurus. A water bottle with a stainless steel straw? Yep. T-shirts? Mm-hmm. Hoodies? Yeah, snapback hats, signed copies of Mr. Boston Bartender's Guide, cocktail box kits, bar tools, and more. You betcha. We've even managed to create a onesie for that mocktail lover in your family. So head on over to shop.thecocktailguru.com and use code GURU23 for 10% off your first order. Great deal. That's shop.thecocktailguru.com, 10% off with code GURU23. Cheers. And now we're back. Um, so the, the mint shocking is probably, you know, shocking mint is probably one of the hacks that um, is, is wi as widely known as you. Um, can, you can you quickly tell us uh, about the mint shock and how you kind of came up with that? The blanching mint for mint syrup or, or just blanching herbs for uh, herb syrups. You know, uh, back in 2000, 2001, at one of my first kind of fancy um, restaurant jobs, uh, the, the hot drink around the country, around the world was the mojito. And I wanted to put a mojito on the menu and especially in that small town that I was living in, nobody, had, you know, nobody had a mojito on the menu. Most people hadn't even heard of a mojito. And so I put a mojito on the menu and very quickly realized that if I was going to try to get through a Friday or Saturday night of service, I was going to have to do something a little differently. So, uh, you know, I had the brilliant idea to take some uh, fresh mint and steep it in hot, simple syrup 
and like a tea and then pull it out and use that. A problem with that method is that that syrup turns brown and eventually um, <clears throat> almost black, uh, you know, which is not a good look for a mojito, right? Like a brown mojito is just not no. what anybody wants. No. And so, uh, you know, to cover that up, we, we had the brilliant idea to uh, uh, add Midori to it. And uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh gosh, look at a melon mojito. Um, mm. but you know, if I had if I had just talked to a chef or somebody in the kitchen, they would have told me that the, the way to get you know herbs, fresh herbs from turning brown is to blanch them really quickly in, in hot or boiling water. And, and uh, years later, I applied that to mint for mint syrup, and it it's amazing, it works great. You just kind of um, put it in some hot water for 10 to 15 seconds, just long enough to kill the enzyme that, that leads to enzymatic browning, uh, and then shock it in ice water. So it stays green and doesn't get that kind of stewed gray plant look. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful color. It still tastes bright and fresh. Uh, I heard someone, um, uh, a pretty well-known bartenders say that, uh, they would never use that method because uh, they don't like the flavor of cooked mint, um, which is really funny to me. If you've ever had like a beautiful mm. bright green watercress soup, it just tastes like the freshest watercress. Uh, mm. That's all made from yeah. blanched um, plants as well. And blanching and right. cooking are two different uh, kitchen techniques. And and yeah, I, w I certainly wouldn't want a cooked mint cocktail, but a blanched mint cocktail is uh beautiful and bright and fresh and just delicious. Right. No, that, that person didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> and um, part, part of the innovation that you're responsible for creating in this country is something that Jonathan was involved in as well when he cut his teeth at a restaurant bar early on in his career. Mm -hmm. And both of you, I guess, learned pretty quickly that the culinary side of bartending was very, very important and could lead to far more interesting things than had been done in the past. Yeah. I mean, um, you could argue that, that cocktails are really, uh, the United States, you know, biggest or, or maybe only contribution to the global culinary, you know, um, yeah. Antheon, you know, I mean, most of our food comes from other places, you know, because we're, you know, we're the most diverse country in the world. Um, we haven't really created anything that's like uniquely American, like the hot dog's not from here. The hamburger's not from here. Pizza's not from here. Um, right. But the cocktail, you know, the single serving cocktail is a distinctly American invention. And so, um, you know, it's just nice that that's being recognized by more, more people these days. Yeah. Outside of the punch, everything else is uniquely American. Totally. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, and then, so what about, what is, uh, another Jeffrey Morgenthaler hack that, <laughs> that you think is just, Amazing, you know, maybe it's something recent that you, I mean, I saw a post that you did of um, a peeler and using a potato peeler uh, as opposed to a citrus peeler. 
Um, what about that? Well, there's no, um, it's actually a cheese peeler. There's no difference between a potato peeler. Oh, and cheese a peeler, peeler, sorry. Peeler. <laughs> yes. Um, that was somebody, something that someone mentioned to me uh, and I thought was so brilliant um, that I shared it on my website. Um, using a cheese peeler uh, to peel citrus for twists is uh, just so much more brilliant. You know, you get a, uh, you get a thicker uh, peel, so it's a little more structurally sound. Um, you're able to like really get those oils out of it. It's also uh, a lot safer. It's like almost, you know, it's not a hundred percent impossible, but it's nearly impossible to cut all of your fingers off with a um, cheese slicer. Uh, certainly with the potato vegetable peeler, the white peeler that people use for um, round vegetables and, and citrus, uh, uh, you know, is very dangerous. I've taken off, um, many fingertips. Uh, one of them put me in the emergency room, uh, and took me out of bartending for about a week. Uh, it was so, Ouch. so gory. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my new favorite, uh, little hack is the cheese slicer. And, and, and we use it at, at my bars, uh, exclusive. We don't even have white peelers there anymore. Wow. Is there, a, is there a new hack that you have not shared with anyone that you'd like to premiere on uh, this episode of the Cocktail Guru Podcast? No, I will. <laughs> uh, anything <laughs> new, I always will uh, premiere on my own website, uh, differentmortgage.com. Yeah. <laughs> so we're stay for posterity. Um, wish I had something uh, new to tell you. But, but, but there, well, there is a new topic that we have to discuss because it's very important. It's the one you created in June of this year, 2022, oh, uh -huh. the Pacific Standard yeah. Pacific Standard Lobby Bar in the yes. Kex Hotel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, very exciting. Very exciting, yeah. After uh, a long yeah. break of uh, not doing uh, really much of anything uh, behind the bar, since there were no bars to stand behind, really, um, we opened Pacific Standard in June of this year. Uh, it is a 150-seat lobby bar, a uh, big, big beast of an animal. Um, we're open <laughs> seven days a week, 365 days a year from three to midnight. Uh, huge, huge project. We also have a, a rooftop bar uh, called the Sunset Room. It's open seasonally uh, in the same hotel. And then we're opening our second location of Pacific Standard uh, in Salem, which is the state capital uh, here in a few months. Wow. Congratulations! Thank That's you. really exciting. And and you serve not you serve drinks, of course. One I saw the bar cocktail list; it was incredible. It was mouth watering. But you also serve food there too, do you not? Yeah, uh, Oregon um, bars are required to serve food. Um, yeah, that I like. I like that idea. I do too. I actually, I always kind of forget about it when I yeah. go to other bars in other cities that you can't just get um, a delicious bite to eat. Um, you know, <laughs> it always comes a little too late. Yep. Um, but yeah, we, uh, you know, we are not a restaurant, but people do tend to use us as a restaurant. We have, you know, small plates mm -hmm. and large plates. And, uh, you know, if I do say so myself, the food's really good. I've been an avid cook for most of my life and, uh, it was really exciting to get to put together a food menu as well as a Wonderful. cocktail menu. Well, there was a, I remember there was a bar that Jonathan worked in. Um, it no longer exists, but it was a great bar, and they refused to serve food 
Hmm. They did not. They were not required to, and they didn't. Said I had to go. I wanted to go because Jonathan was working there. But even before that, I decided to go there long before Jonathan ever set foot in this particular bar. And when I realized they wouldn't, didn't serve food, I started bringing my own cashews uh, <laughs> to the bar, and I would munch my cashews while I was drinking. And and several of the waitresses looked at me askance. And they were, they, eventually they said, well, you know, we could get into trouble for letting you, you know, sit there and eat. Hmm. And I said, well, I can't, I cannot, I cannot drink without eating. I just can't do it. Wait, which place was this? You know, <laughs> in, in Grand Central Station. Oh, Oh, oh yeah, but they they've started serving food, and may, uh, maybe that well, was because of me. I I think it's because of me because I was going in there for years complaining about <laughs> yeah. the fact there was no food, and eventually they did start serving small plates. Yeah, so uh, I I I need my food with cocktails, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I mean food and drinks—they're meant to go together, right? Yep, food and drink exactly. Now the other project that you were involved in, which is recent as well is canned cocktails yeah ninkazi ninkazi canned cocktails oh yeah by, by, by jeffrey morgenthaler yeah um that was really exciting my my friends uh at ninkazi brewery down in eugene who i've known for 25 or so years um approached me during the pandemic about um partnering uh on a collab to do Canned cocktails. So, you know, I would, um, you know, I would, um, I would come to life with their very large format, um, microbrewery, um, with complete with canning line, etc. Uh, and so in January of this year, we launched, uh, after working on them pretty much all of last year, we launched our Ninkasi, Ninkasi canned cocktails and, uh, we're up to six flavors now. Oh, which is really good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's four spirit base and two malt base. Since here in Oregon, uh, we can't sell uh, spirit base uh, and cocktails in grocery stores. We can with um, malt mm. base. So we've got two malt base that are oh. um, well, cool. They, they, all, they all sound young. I know three of them. I didn't know there were six at this point, but the. Uh, the the agave paloma sounds really, really good uh, with jalapeno-infused mezcal and the gin ricky with mint and the bourbon renewal sounds absolutely yummy with creme de cassis and lemon. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, um, kind of a, a carbonated version of a drink that I came up with. Pr pretty much the first cocktail I ever came up with was the bourbon renewal back in 2000 or 2001. Um, and we decided to make it a, a, a longer, more refreshing drink. It's typically just a, a whiskey sour with uh, creme de cassis, but we lengthened it with a little soda water. It's absolutely delicious. And Jeffrey, what is with the Happy Hour Anywhere RV? Oh, that yeah. looks I mean, incredible. They have, they possibly have uh, an RV that they drive around the West Coast and uh, stop off at parties and festivals and, you know, events and share canned cocktails with everybody. It's really fun. I finally saw it in person uh, a couple months ago. I hadn't uh, actually seen it live before, but 
uh, I got to see it, and it's um, it's pretty it's pretty surreal to see your name in like a font this big on the side. Yes, yes, side yes. of a bus, you know, like um, <laughs> That's still so don't funny. know how I feel about kind of like seeing it. Yeah, kind of like seeing yourself on a billboard uh, in Times Square or something. Yeah, yeah. I, if they ever take out a billboard, I'm going to figure out where that billboard is and drive there and take a picture for my parents. That's your next project, Times Square billboard. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ninkazi cocktails, Jeff by Jeffrey yeah, Morgan. Our, our tiny Oregon budget, but I'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. And with the um, with the last minute or two that we have left, this has been a very spirited conversation, Jeffrey. Um, we appreciate it. Um, what is uh, I have a question for you, and I'm sure a lot of people would love to know. Um, what is sort of the key to innovation um, in your mind, in your brain, um, when it comes to to cocktails? Do you have any sort of secret innovation hmm. of any kind? Uh, yeah. <laughs> boy, I don't. I don't really know. I mean, all this stuff just kind of comes naturally to me. Um, so I don't really think I know what the secret is other than just naturally kind of having a knack for it. Um, um, being super into it is uh, really helpful, you know, um, right. doing, it, doing it every day uh, behind the bar is super helpful as well. I don't think I could um, really come up with um, – anything, you know, bartending innovations if I wasn't actually a bartender. Um, so that's helpful. Yeah. And is that, is that kind of what keeps you behind the bar is sort of that, that need to keep, keep innovating and to kind of, that kind of gets you going? Um, no, I, I genuinely enjoy it. And, um, you know, uh, just like 26 years ago, I, I still need the money. So, uh, <laughs> that's really what keeps me behind the bar. Um, you know, I'm not on a lifelong quest for innovation. Uh, it's not really what it is that I do. I, uh, I mm. enjoy it. And, uh, when I come up with something that I think would be helpful to people, I thing that I think would be helpful to people, I share it on my website. So that, that's really what I do. Awesome. Well, I'm not finished here, John. Oh, okay. We're not, we're not departing just yet because there are, okay are a number of things I have to say in keeping with our theme of um, inter interviewing the most influential and historical members of our industry. I wanted everyone to know that Playboy named Jeffrey one of the top, top 10 most influential mixologists of the past decade. Drinks International named him the ninth most influential bartender in the world. And Thrillist named him one of the 15 most influential bartenders of the past 100 years. Now, if that isn't history, I don't know what is. Pretty crazy. It, it, it's incredible. So that's one of the reasons why we are interviewing, because we love him so much, too, Jeffrey Morgenthaler, <laughs> because he will go down in history. It's oh, true. Thank you. thank you so much, Jeffrey, for, for uh, gracing us with your presence. Thanks this for has been an amazing conversation. Tipple Time is brought to you in part by Monin Premium Gourmet Syrups, Marie Broussard, and Glen Morangy Single Malt Scotch. Here we are once again, another episode of Tipple Time on the Cocktail Guru Podcast. I'm Jonathan Pogash. I am here live from a bar, actually, in the town I live in, in Massachusetts. This place is called Little Moss. 
and you should definitely go check it out if you're ever in the southeastern Massachusetts area. Uh, it is a lovely cocktail bar and farm-to-table restaurant. But um, without further ado, I'm making this lovely Scotch whiskey cocktail for you, and I'm just completely obsessed with Glenmorangie X, which is their single malt Scotch whiskey made for mixing. Um, it is so lovely. It is, of course, 80 proof. It's 40% alcohol, and it says it was created with top bartenders. Um, so that's wonderful, and I think that that's so great that they were able to do that. I've been using Glenmorangie for many, many years, for a, more than a decade in cocktails. So now we're going to get most people on board with using Scotch whiskey, specifically Glenmorangie, in cocktails. But let's go ahead and make this shaken cocktail. This is a variation on a daisy. I call it my winter daisy. So we're using this um, Glenmo X. See how I shortened Glenmorangie? That's what we say in the, uh, in the trade, Glenmo. Uh, we're doing one and a half ounces in my mixing glass of Glenmorangie. And that's how you pronounce it, guys, 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 Glenmorangie, not Glenmorangie, not Glenmorangie, Glenmorangie. Marie Brizard, a wonderful family of delicious French liqueurs, some amazing heritage dating back hundreds of years. They make these really delicious fruit-based liqueurs. This happens to be their peach, and I'm using three quarters of an ounce. So this is this uses ingredients. Well, peach is not a winter ingredient, but this is reminiscent of summertime. It's also reminiscent of the seasons we're in now. Really, it's an all-year-round kind of drink. Um, and now I'm using Monin Hot Honey, which is a blend of honey and jalapeno. It's actually organic wildflower honey and jalapeno pepper. Uh, and it's really interesting. It's a touch spicy and works really well in cocktails. Non-alcoholic ingredients are non-alcoholic cocktails as well. And I'm doing half of an ounce. Oh, I smell that. I smell that hot pepper. It smells absolutely beautiful. And to balance out the sweetness and the fruit flavors, I've got some freshly squeezed lemon juice, and we're doing three quarters of an ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice. And now the ice. And we'll give it a really nice, vigorous shake. Okay. Okay. And I've got my beautiful cocktail coupe glass right over here. And we'll just strain it out into the glass. Hmm, looks lovely. <laughs> I've got my lemon wheel for garnish. I'm actually going to put a little slit in that lemon wheel, okay? So that it fits nicely over the rim of the glass. That is a beautiful, elegant winter cocktail. Cheers, my winter daisy. Hold on one second. Oh. Mm. Oh yeah, just a touch of spice, and that works so well with the Marie Brizard peach, the Monin hot honey. Man, that hot honey, I want to pour it over fried chicken. That's what this makes me think of, hot honey fried chicken. Would work really well with food, and Glenmorangie works really well with food. Well, cheers, everyone. Tipple Time, I'm Jonathan. Take care. Tipple Time is brought to you in part by Marie Brizard, Glenmorangie single malt scotch, and moaning hot honey. That does it for today's show. If you enjoy what we do, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also support the show with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. Just click on the donate button at the top of our website and choose your donation amount. To learn more about our guests, visit www.thecocktailgurupodcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. 
the Cocktail Guru podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 